Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from. Enjoy the show. Today with me, I have Dr. Judy Dukesher, Director at Nursing the Future and Associate Professor at Thompson Rivers University in British Columbia. Dr. Dukesher, thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, thanks so much, Bonnie, for having me. Absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about the really cool space that you're in and what you see coming down the road or around the next corner. Specifically, I really would like to get your perspective on how we're doing or where we're going with creating, not sure that's the right verb, but creating new nurses and retaining new nurses. And I know that you've really been in this space for quite a long time. I also know that you really like to go big or go home. So tell us what you're up to and what you see coming. Well, I wish I knew what was coming. (laughs) I think that's a challenge for all of us right now is we we're in this period of tremendous uncertainty. And so a topic that I feel like I know relatively well and have been in for more than two decades seems to be on a bit of a precipice at the moment. And I don't honestly know what direction it's going to take. And what I mean by that is my area, as you know, Bonnie, is the the transition to professional practice for newly graduated nurses. And I've had this interest and I'd call it a passion for quite some time. And I actually stumbled upon it in my master's degree. I stumbled upon the experience of these new nurses moving into practice that was really quite emotional, quite tumultuous. And I wanted to tease out the elements of it in a little bit more detail so that maybe we might find a way to make it easier. And so I've been, you know, taking the pulse of this situation for quite some time and felt like I was starting to get a sense of it. And when I when I say that, I mean... I think transition is a normal experience. You're you're never going to be able to eliminate the transition to practice experience of newly graduated nurses, nor would you want to because it's a professional developmental stage. And that's fine. The challenge comes with how do you make sure it is as healthy a transition as possible so that you, as you identified, can retain strong, critically thinking, compassionate nurses in the profession? How, how do you find a way to help them through those more challenging pieces of the transition and allow them to kind of get through uh, that initial period and move into uh, more of a, yeah, I think I can do this. And now I'm going to have to think about who I really want to be in this profession and the difference and impact I want to make. That's where we really want them. So I had come to a place, I believe, in all of my work where I felt there was this stable instability, where I felt that 
you know, we, if we could just get a handle on the stages and, you know, maybe optimize the practice environment more than it is, and we need to do that for all nurses, not just new grads, then maybe we could get a handle on this and help them through the stages in a very healthy way. And then COVID hit. And it has truly, as we all know, it's changed our world. And we don't know where we're going to land here. And I feel as though the transition experience has become somewhat destabilized. Now, my work with the stages of transition and transition shock, I, I think, will remain. But the question is, how are we supporting them through those stages when all the elements of transition that include consistency, familiarity, predictability, and stability? Those are the four foundational elements of a healthy transition for new nurses moving into practice, being able to contain and control for those elements. Well, all of those elements have really been, you know, thrown into a bit of a whirlwind with COVID in our personal as well as our professional lives. And it, as you know, Bonnie, in my model of transition, the stages of transition, those elements, sort of the psychosocial developmental pieces, are influenced significantly by how stable uh, your practice and personal life are, how familiar your practice and personal life are, et cetera, et cetera. So if one of them, you know, changes, and that's what I say to grads, hey, listen, if you are moving into an unstable professional situation, then try to maintain some stability at home. So don't think too much about moving, getting married, making huge life changes, just just chill for a little while so that you can be professionally unstable, but personally stable. And so now we have a situation in which those elements are evident throughout both the personal and professional lives of these graduates. And not only the graduates, Bonnie, but the people that are charged with supporting them. So it's just this huge intersection of change, chaos, and complexity that I don't honestly know yet how that is going to play out. And we have moved that situation into education. That's the other variable here that we, you know, we probably controlled a lot more for before than we can now because everything changed in education. I mean, I, I remember March last year, I had a, a group of senior students in their final practicum, which is a very important component of preparation for transition is that final piece. And they got pulled out as many students did throughout, you know, throughout the globe. And what impact that is going to have that pivot to online education, to simulation as opposed to face-to-face -face practice, what is that going to do to the preparation and sense of readiness for new graduates to enter what is a much more tumultuous, much more dynamic, uh, chaotic and complex environment. So, so that's, that's where I'm at in, in what I'm doing. And I, I had launched Nursing the Future as a nonprofit NGO in 2004. And I ran it until 
2014 when I took a, a temporary leave from all of that and re-entered it, re-entered my, my interest and passion for new graduates in about 2017. And I really felt that Nurse in the Future, which to me had been a transformational platform of support for new nurses and a place where their supporters could gather, could share resources, could develop their work with new graduates. I felt it, it, it really changed the landscape of transition. And so I knew that, that it wasn't over and there was going to be an opportunity to re-engage with it. So I'm going to go jump in here because you've given us a ton to unpack. Okay. And it, it seems as though so much of what you're saying resonates with me. You're in Canada. I'm here in the United States. It seems as though there are tremendous parallels that we can draw between the issues that we're struggling with with our new graduate nurses and well into that first and second year in their first or potentially their second job. So are you in Canada seeing um, the same kind of data that we are, that there's tremendous turnover of nurses within their first 12 to 18 months? You know, that's a really good question, Bonnie. And I think the majority of research in the attrition of new graduates out of practice in the first period of their careers is coming out of the U.S. and Australia. And, and so you know, we don't, do not have as much data on that. So we are really going by the North American data as opposed to Canadian data, but just anecdotally from all the individuals I work with from across the country, there's no question that there is a vulnerable period of time there that lasts up to about 18 months. And quite honestly, in my work and my theoretical construct, it is very unusual for a new graduate to leave the practice area before 12 months time. And the reason I say that is there is a developmental piece going on for them that they believe if they can make it to 12 months, that, that they've done what they need to do. They have made their transition. So in other words, if they leave before 12 months, they have somehow failed. If they leave after 12 months, then I believe the institution or the entity within which they're transitioning has failed them. So I, I saw some data at about 18 months. Most of my research goes to 12 months because there is something that changes at 12 months for these graduates. So that, that was my area of interest. But I did extend one study out to 18 months and was really fascinated by the fact that there's another transition, much less intensive that goes on at about 12 months, but it's this idea of, okay, now what? And I do think uh, that yes, we in Canada are experiencing exactly what you are in the U.S. in terms of the risk of losing new graduates in those first 18 months.
kind of players should help to support these new nurses? And how can we learn lessons to be doing that differently to have better outcomes? Yeah, I do think that that it is an, an ecosystem in the sense that every every piece of it has its own singular responsibility and importance, but it's very difficult to separate it from the pack. So if you think about the impact of preparation on transition, you know, you can give them all the support that they need during their transition, but if they haven't been adequately prepared, then that makes maybe some of what you're doing moot. So, so when I think about education, I think that, yes, we, we probably could do a better job of preparing them for the realities of practice while measuring that with teaching to the ideal so that when graduates enter the practice environment and they're a bit unhappy with what they see, there's nothing wrong with that. Then they say, you know what? I, I think it could be better than this. I learned that it could be better than this. So I'm going to strive to make it better than this. I have no problem with teaching to an ideal in the undergraduate or program level, as long as you understand that you need to share somehow that reality with them so they can cope with it when they get into it. And then when I think about the context of practice, that's probably our most volatile place because it is so dynamic and it is the part that is responding constantly to whatever is going on education say what you will about uh you know kind of heels in the cement uh, of of our academic institutions but they provide a relatively stable course and they are not as vulnerable to needing to respond to the context of healthcare practice uh, social convention as healthcare and the healthcare system is because it's dealing with all the human beings that make up that social construction. So having said that, they are very dynamic. And when they start to change, like for instance, now in COVID, it changes the, the name of the game and it is so unstable in practice. I mean, literally every day people are getting new policies, new practices, changes to PPE um, guidelines. I mean, everything is changing on a daily basis. It's really hard to grab on to anything. And I think that's the challenge that industry or the healthcare sector have right now. And that influences the people. So you talked about those who are seeking to support the new nurse. I think that we don't in nursing classically, and I don't care what you know country you're from, I do think some countries do a better job, uh, but in North America, we probably don't do as good a job developing our nurses as we could. So I, I say that in terms of, I was a manager of a 41 bed telemetry unit a couple of years ago. And I, I went back into practice quite strategically because I had been an academic for a while and I wanted to understand what was really going on in practice. And I certainly got um, a bird's eye view of that. And what I noticed was I was able somehow as a manager of a, you know, 200 staff able to go to a bed meeting every morning that would take an hour to an hour and a half. But I was not able somehow in the construction of my work, able to develop my staff in the same way. I could develop my bed capacity. I could deal with those traffic issues. 
But when it came to saying, who are my staff? Where are my staff? Where did they come from? Where are they going? How am I developing them, nurturing them, mentoring them? That just wasn't a focus. So I don't know how we can expect in this profession to have these seasoned individuals acting as mentors and supporters when we haven't developed them themselves. You know, that's such a really (laughs) strong insight because our work we don't set things up that way. And in fact, we, we actually even go farther and call that non-productive time, right? So it's almost as though we penalize nurses, managers, leaders for trying to develop staff. And you said something a, a minute ago that really sort of took me back a little bit. It has sort of, I've missed the fact that you're 100% right. Nothing is is a stake in the ground anymore insofar as policy and procedure. So that's been such a moving target. So I can only imagine if it's hard to reorient yourself and anchor yourself as an experienced nurse, it must be double or triply difficult for a new graduate that doesn't really even have a, a contextual framework to begin with. That's really powerful when you have to think about what they're grappling with every day. Yeah, and they need it so desperately. They're they're looking to hang on to a structure that they used to have. So so this may be another element of it is that we provide them with so much structure in their education. And then they get into practice and they have to adapt to and sometimes even create their own structure. And whether or not we teach them how to do that is is up for debate, I suppose. So if you had a magic wand, what would you do to help us address this? Well, I guess I'd have to think about upstream and downstream and and sort of the up, upstream piece is, you know, thinking about how are we preparing them? How are we understanding the experience to transition? The downstream is more once they're in there and an upstream, you know, from a, an educational perspective is preparation, but from a healthcare sector perspective, it's how are we creating the kind of environment, you know, a workplace worth waking up to is how I used to, used to phrase it how are we creating that and co-creating it because this is not something we impose upon a professional group but rather try to engage that professional group in in that process and as you know bonnie in practice the first thing to go is continuing education right if a budget's you know not hitting the target then your ed days are gone well, well, what is that saying about how we're developing our, our nurses? It was really hard. And I, again, I'm not blaming practice entirely, but I am saying that we in practice need to be held accountable for the fiscal decisions that we're making or the decisions that we're making that are fed by and influence our fiscal bottom line. And I do think nursing is often on the, you know, butt end of that, if you will. And, you know, I I found it really difficult to get continuing education from my staff 
such that, you know, I, I'd have people with virtually no um, ECG continuing education monitoring rhythm strips on a regular basis. So that's not a good thing. Um, and, and I get that the finances of an institution need to be met. Something's going to suffer if, it, if those fiscal bottom lines aren't met. But I, I wish it I wish I didn't feel like it was always nursing that ended up, you know, suffering as a result of that. And I mean, even even case in point, we had a, a spiritual care program that at, at one point in my practice as a manager was significantly cut back. So we did not have any support for patients and families uh, during critical illness or death. There was no pastoral support for them for a period of time because of budget cuts. And that ends up, again, falling on the nurse because the nurse then has to provide that. So I guess, if you will, nursing is always on the receiving end of those budget cuts because if something is cut, pharmacy, nutrition, uh, services, whatever, nurses end up picking that up. And, and I just wish we were a little bit more aware and sensitive to the importance of building our nursing capacity intellectually, psychosocially, developmentally, culturally, such that we valued what nurses bring to the quote unquote bedside on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that those are all really strong, good points for us to consider, particularly as we talked about bringing, you know, new graduate nurses into the care settings and, and help to transition and onboard them in their roles. And really, there's it's so much deep work going on in that space. I personally am grateful for uh, your transition shock model. It's actually one that I used in um, my doctoral project. So I really appreciate your work. And I think it's so incredibly important that we continue to learn how to improve the transition of new graduate nurses. And we also are going to have to do things differently. So I do think you're 100% right. This is an area that is ripe for disruption and transformation. And it sure feels like now's the time. If we don't do it now, when are we actually going to do it? So I really want to thank you for all the work you've done in this space and how you continue to bring it to our attention, Judy. Well, thanks, Bonnie. It's actually programs like yourself that are bringing it to people's attention. I, I did want to offer one, one word of support for formalized residency programs that speak to both the skill proficiency and the experiential elements of transition. You know, we, we talk a lot about how to develop competencies in new nurses, but we don't maybe even consider culture, professional development, and I don't mean continuing education in that professional development, I mean the evolution of a professional from, from novice to expert, if you will. We don't always appreciate that there is an experience underneath the development of skill. And if you don't understand what is going on underneath the skill development, you can't possibly understand what might potentiate it, grow its capacity, or impede or hinder it. So, you know, there's Melanie Murray wrote an article recently that combined Patricia Benner and her Dreyfus and Dreyfus skill acquisition model with my 
experiential professional role transition model. And I really think that if people can do more of that, so that residency programs underpin with both skill competency and, and Benner is just, you know, you, you really can't do better than Benner when you're thinking about how do you understand and advance a nurse's clinical judgment, problem solving, critical thinking capacity, um, and then allowing that program to have this underpinning of, yes, and what is the experience of a new graduate that is influencing and impacting on that, uh, that process of skill development. So I think that I would love to see more residency programs, certainly in Canada, we're trying to build a national residency program that are consistent and that are framed uh, upon transition theory and uh, skill acquisition theory for new nurses. Wow, that's that's awesome. I am really thankful for the work um, that you're doing. Judy, where can people find you on social media um, to kind of follow up and continue the conversation and learn more? Well, thanks so much, Bonnie, for the ability to share that. We are on every social media, and social media has been a real active way of knowledge translation for us. So we're on Twitter um, at New Graduates, um, NTF New, I think it's at NTF New Graduates, and then Facebook at Nursing the Future, LinkedIn under my name, Judy Dukeshire, and uh, Instagram also under Nursing the Future. And I, I think that pretty much does it. Awesome. Oh, and awesome. I, sorry. Uh, I did want to encourage people to go to nursingthefuture.ca and subscribe. It's free. And we offer a lot of information on transition. We have blogs and podcasts and interviews and speaker series and uh, new initiatives like the Greenhouse, where we're growing leadership capacity and new nurses. So I encourage people to go on and subscribe and join our movement. That's fantastic. And thank you again so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics or guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health. 